Hello, everyone. This is Travis J. Vernon, and welcome to today's podcast. The last few months have been absolutely chaotic in my life. I tend to always plan for the next big thing, the next big adventure. More often than not, I haven't even finished the adventure I'm on when I'm already looking at, okay, what am I going to do next? Sometimes that can be as simple as where do I want to go camping? What things are on my bucket list? What fish haven't I caught? What area haven't I hunted in or game animal that I've pursued? Sometimes it's as simple as going foraging for something specific to make a dinner or to harvest a specific bird or game animal that I'm looking forward to creating a meal with. If you've listened to previous podcasts, you know I love being in the salt water. I like walking the beaches. I like looking in tidal pools, fishing. I just like exploring the world. I like being in new places and experiencing new things. So one of the things that my wife and I decided we wanted to do after all of our European trip plans for our anniversary were canceled because of COVID, we were looking at a place we could go stateside where we wouldn't have to travel super far. We could kind of stay away from any of the issues that are currently occurring be a little bit more on the rural side, and do something fun. So I was talking to Nancy. We decided, let's just take a road trip to Oregon. We'll stay on the coast. We'll see if we can find an Airbnb and just relax for a week. Just get away from all the chaos and go do something new. So as we started digging into lots of different adventures and things that we could do, I've always wanted to go clamming, and I've never been able to do it. Every time I've attempted to clam... There's either been a red tide or some other issue or the beaches were closed for non-residents. So we decided to go in the first part of October. We were going to make a combined trip of clamming, crabbing, perhaps do a little fishing, forage if we could. But we were being really careful to not overload ourselves with plans. Sometimes I don't even like to have an itinerary day to day. I like to have an overall, I want to accomplish this one thing. If I accomplish it on day one, that's fine. If it takes a whole week and I have great experiences, but I'm not able to accomplish it, that's also fine. I just like getting out and trying new stuff. So the months leading up to going to Oregon, we started getting stuff together. We ended up getting a real inexpensive boat that we wanted to restore and refurbish. It was a good deal, but as busy as I am during the summertime, I just didn't have time to do it. I have most of the supplies. I just didn't have the time. So I talked to my uncle about borrowing my great-grandfather's 14-foot boat. They were all for it. Now, I wasn't sure what they were going to say if I told them I was going to take it to Oregon into the bay. I just figured that they were going to look at it as, hey, you're going to be out on the ocean. This is too small of a boat. We're not going to let you do it. So I just asked if I could use it for a fishing trip. They said, sure. The issue was it hadn't been registered since 2008, which started this giant issue of trying to get the boat registered. We didn't want to register it in Wyoming. We wanted to keep it in Utah. So we registered it to our little piece of property that we have in Utah. Go to the DMV, which is always just such a treat. And you throw the COVID on top of that, it just makes it a magical place to stand in line at the DMV to be told something different by every single teller that you ever talk to. So I talked to the first person and they tell me these are the documents I need. So I go get all those documents. Come back. The second person looks at all the documents and says, well, who's this person? I said, well, that's my great-grandfather. 
Well, then he has to register the boat. So that's going to be kind of hard since he's deceased. Oh, well, then you have to do all these steps and you have to transfer the boat title and you have to put it in this person's name and you have to do this and that and the other. It takes about three weeks to get through everything to finally pay $15 for the state to hand me a sticker. It's no wonder everybody does stuff illegally. It's so much easier. I'm trying to pay you to give me a sticker and you're going to make me jump through a thousand hoops. Eh, I'll just take my chances and pay my ticket. But I did the right thing. We did all the transfers. We got everything done. We got the boat. I was able to find an inexpensive engine that's kind of from the same year. So everything kind of matches. It's an antique for sure. So we get this boat and we get everything else ready. Get a couple of crab traps so that we can go crabbing for Dungeness Crab. And off we go to Oregon. Pretty uneventful. We leave super early in the morning. We get out a day late because I was helping my sister on her very first mule deer hunt, which that'll be a whole podcast of its own. Because dang, that was, I want to say it's a textbook hunt, but it wasn't really a textbook. It was, hey, we're going to go sit on this one spot, the berry patch, find some big deer. And the deer that came in was just giant. Well, anyway, I was helping her with that, helping her butcher. So we got away a day late. Not a super huge deal because I was planning on taking two days to drive up to Oregon, even though it was only about a 14 and a half hour drive. Me, personally, I hate driving at night. Once it gets past, say, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I have a hard time staying awake. I get up super early every morning, and once it hits that time, I just, I can't help myself but fall asleep. So I like to stay in dive hotels because it's hilarious. So we're driving, get through the five miles of Wyoming that we have to traverse, super easy, go through all of Utah, super easy, except for the highway, because there's so many people, hate driving through big cities, especially pulling a trailer with a boat, get out of Utah, get into Idaho, wide open, pretty soon we see some onions on the side of the road, I'm always paying attention to the roadkill, and to the mountains, and the animals, and the flora, and the fauna, and things like that, so seeing a couple onions, I think, that's bizarre, but then I see a few more, and then I see a few more, So then I started to think, well, there must be a truck in front of me that's carrying onions that has a hole in one of its bags, and it's just dropping onions. But the longer we go, the more onions there are, and we started to laugh about it. Every time there was an outside bend, there'd be 10 or 12 onions laying around the side of the road. So we finally get up to one of our turns, and there's just a pile of onions on the side of the road. I'm like, Nancy, we should just stop and grab some onions. I mean, it's like a sign. So we get out, and we grab a bunch of these onions. They are enormous. Like literally bigger than softballs. Just big, beautiful yellow onions. So we grab a bunch of onions. How bizarre is this, right? So we grab a bunch of onions, keep driving. Pretty soon we get to this little town. I don't even know the name of the town, but it's like the onion capital of Idaho. Onions everywhere, up and down the sides of the roads. I tell you, they'd probably make more money if they figured out a way to load those trucks better. But it was nice because we got a lot of onions. So we're going through Idaho. Smoke is terrible as we approach the Oregon border. Tons and tons of wildfires on the west coast. Keep driving, keep driving. As we get closer and closer to the coast, the smoke starts to dissipate because all the the coastal breezes were pushing all that smoke inland. Utah and Wyoming and Montana were getting all the smoke from some of the other states, which I guess that's okay because when we have wildfires in Wyoming, our smoke goes other places because it's always windy here. So we get into Oregon and I start to get pretty tired. Like, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to make this all in one day. We had left our house at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking, okay, it's a 14-hour drive, 14 and a half-ish. 
with stops and everything else, it almost turned into 16 hours. You know, had to get those onions off the road. Grabbing gas, grabbing food, ends up turning about 16 hours. So that's going to put us a little bit past 6 p.m. I'm thinking, that's not too bad. Well, it ends up being longer than we thought. So we're about three hours away from Coos Bay, which is the area that we were going to go stay at our Airbnb. And I'm super tired. So I asked Nancy to find a hotel en route to the place we're going. Now, I hope this lady doesn't listen to this podcast, or actually maybe I hope she does. But we get to this little town called Crescent. So it's Crescent, Oregon. And there's this you know, Crescent Moon Hotel, Motel, whatever it is. Basically the only place that I could find a room. When I go in to get the key, the lady's super excited at the desk. And I mean, she's really cordial, she's a super nice lady. Hands me the key. You're going to love it. You guys are staying in our glitter room. Half asleep. I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. So I get out, jump in the truck, pull down. It's at the end of the hotel, butted up to the road. No place to park my boat and the truck. So I'm thinking I'm going to have to unhook the truck or I'm going to have to jackknife it in there and do something so that I can get it off the road. Had a lot of gear in the truck and the boat. Not super familiar with other towns, so I don't know what the theft issues are like. But we had to stop at the Walmart, and everything was locked up at the Walmart. I mean, I couldn't get anything. I needed to put in new headlights in my truck, and the headlights were locked. Crazy. So everything's locked up. I started worrying that things are going to get stolen. So I get my truck all parked in there. Ends up not being a problem at all. Nothing got stolen. So while I'm dealing with all this mess in the parking lot, Nancy walks into the room and immediately bursts into laughter. So if you're ever in Crescent, Oregon, stay at this hotel and ask for the glitter room. If you were to search Pinterest for ideas to bling and glitterize your home, this is what that room was. The walls had glitter on them. They're big murals of glitter. The floor in the bathroom was painted with glitter. The toilet seat and the top of the toilet tank, glitter. The fridge was painted chrome glitter. The bed frame itself was wrapped in tinsel glitter wrapping paper. The bed sheets were glitter. Holy smokes. I wasn't sure how I was going to sleep. Like the whole room sparkled. Could not stop laughing. So calm down. I'm tired. I got to get some sleep because we got to get on the road in the morning because I still want to set out crap pots. And we were going to have about a... 11 o'clock low tide. So I wanted to be on the water so I could drop my pots in low tide. So I get myself relaxed. We climb into bed, turn off the lights, burst into hysterical laughter again because the ceiling is covered in glow-in-the-dark glitter stars. So it's like you're camping in the desert now, right? But with a crinkly bed because of all the wrapping paper and glitter and stuff. I was exhausted, fell asleep. It's probably one of the most memorable hotel rooms I've ever stayed in. But anyway, we get to the coast, check in at our Airbnb. Those folks are amazing. So it's two houses. We're the house in the back. The hosts are the house in the front. They've got a couple of chickens, a couple of cats, a couple of ducks, a dog. So it's like a little micro urban farm. And it's a tiny little Airbnb, just has a bed, not even a kitchenette because it didn't have a stove. But I knew that in advance, but they had plenty of room for me to park the boat. So I was able to park the boat Took my camp chef stove so that I could cook outside. Didn't have to worry about it. The weather while we were there was fantastic. It didn't really even rain. A couple of little bit of drizzly moments for 10, 15 minutes, but it didn't really even rain. 
we had an epic week. Found a little tiny local shop, be able to get our bait. I'll actually post his information in the show notes. Super good little shop. A lot of fun if you ever go to Coos Bay. They have crab bait, fish bait, local knowledge. They'll point you in the right direction. Highly recommend those guys. So I buy a bunch of crab bait on day two. I didn't do it on day one because I thought I had enough. Holy smokes. Dungeness crab. Go through a lot of bait. Craziness. Chicken works really good. So you can buy bulk chicken at like Walmart. Fish heads work pretty good. The problem with fish is sometimes you'll have seals break into your pots to get the fish out. So you just kind of have to be careful with what you use for bait and just know that there's risks and rewards for both of those. I just use the mix. So we get out there. We drop our first pots. I got enough fish for both pots. We wait about 45 minutes. We don't catch any bottom fish because we're jigging for bottom fish, looking for rock fish, things like that. See lots of fish rising, boiling, seals, waterfowl. It's just so cool. It's so nice to be on the water. The little tiny boat's working great. My little old antique motor, it sputters and starts and does its thing, but it works just fine. And we pull our first couple of pots and start pulling out Dungeness crab. And it was a riot. I got pinched so bad by a crab when I lost my attention for just a moment. He latched on right onto the knuckle of the tip of my middle finger and damn near cut me to the bone. My finger was bleeding so bad. It hurt so bad. I'm really glad he was big enough because it was really satisfying to throw him in the cooler. But in those first two pots, those crabs went through all the bait. When we pulled the pots, there was no bait left in the pots. So we couldn't even stay out. We couldn't even drop the pots again. We hadn't caught any fish, so we didn't have any fish for bait. So we headed back in to go buy bait for the second day. But we had fresh crab that we were going to be able to eat for dinner that night. And we caught a pretty good mix of Dungeness and Red Rock crab. So we ended up stopping, buying a whole bunch of bait. Now that we knew how much bait those crabs would go through, we started doing shorter soaks on the pots. So we started out at about an hour. Then we went to 45 minutes. And I think at the end we were doing between 30 minutes and 40 minutes. It was pretty good. Most of the time we drop our pots in about 20 to 30 feet of water. Pretty much anywhere in between there we did pretty well. No real rhyme or reason. Sometimes we catch big ones. Sometimes we'd have a 30 crabs in a pot and none of them were to size. But it was really, really fun. It was such a fun experience. And I love to cook. So we were able to come home with lots of crab meat. So we still have a lot of crab meat in the freezer so that we'll be able to do some crab cakes and a couple of low country boils later in the season. So at one point, we finally get some good intel on a good rocky spit that we could go fish for rockfish. And on our way there, I tell Nancy she ought to just bomb out that cast master and we can just troll for a second and see if there's anything cruising. Well, pretty soon the rod just rips out the back of the boat. It's completely doubled over. I'm like, crap, I'm going to break that rod. So I hurry and spin the boat back around, motor back towards where we were hung up. Nancy's reeling as fast as she can. I'm like, see if you can get that snag off. And she looks at me like I'm a moron, which I get that look a lot. I'm okay with it. And she says, Trav, this is a fish. I'm like, there's no way that's a fish. It was so bent over. You've got to be hung up on the bottom. At that moment, the fish gods caused the fish to leap out of the water. It created the biggest whirlpool on the surface. And I looked at her and she says, see? So we fight this fish, fight it, fight it, fight it. I have to chase it all over with the boat. Finally get it into the net. Giant silver salmon. Absolutely beautiful. I'd say it's in that 32 to 36 inch range. Just beautiful fish. Fresh from the ocean. Chromed up. 
still had sea lice on it. Just amazing. Now, the returns of the silvers weren't very good. So all wild silver salmon had to be released. So we returned that fish to the ocean. But after we got a good picture, that made Nancy's day. That was the only salmon we caught. The whole, well, I guess she did catch one other salmon that was about six inches long. But we're not going to count that one. She'll be really happy that I mentioned that. But we were able to figure out some other things. We were able to get down and catch some surf perch. We were able to catch some, well, a couple different types of rockfish. We were able to catch some greenling. We were trying to catch some lean cod, but we never did catch those. But I think October is probably not the best month. Who knows? I just didn't know what I was doing. And we didn't take a guide. It was just a week of figure stuff out and have fun. So we had a really good time. The learning curve on clamming was pretty intense. We ended up buying a clam gun, worked with that for a while, kept finding little clams, kept finding the sand shrimp, which that wasn't a big deal because we use those for bait for the surf perch and some of the other fish. So once we had things figured out, we kind of had this constant supply of fresh bait, constant supply of fresh crab. We'd get home in the evenings, take a quick shower, go to bed, wake up, do it again. It was seven days of just sitting in a boat, catching crabs, catching fish, and just having a ball. Had one moment where we were motoring down the bay, and both Nancy and I had the same feeling at the same time, like, yeah, this isn't a good idea. And so we looked at each other and like, nah, we really, I don't know what it is, but we shouldn't go down here. Now, when I get those kind of intuition things, whether you want to call it a message from God, intuition, the universe telling you not to do something, I do my best to listen to them. So we turned around, motored back up, dropped some pots, and I proceeded to break the pull start on the engine. Now, had we motored to where we were going to go, I would have been three miles away from the boat ramp. So I had a backup trolling motor, but the tide was going out. So I had to go into the current with the trolling motor. We were able to make it maybe a mile and the battery started to go dead. So I'm like, crap, I'm going to have to call somebody to come tow my boat to the boat ramp. When we were able to find a backup emergency cord that I'd put in the tote and we could wrap it around the top of the engine old school and pull start that engine. And we were able to make it back to the boat ramp. Going to town, talked to some boat places. Guy walks out, looks at my engine. He goes, that is amazing. I can't even believe it still runs. It's an antique. I'm surprised you're using it. How old's the boat? And so we got a lot of love because we were still fishing my great-grandfather's boat, which was super fun. I love the fact that it was my great-grandfather's boat. I still have one of his fly rods hanging on my wall. But they basically told us they could fix the motor, they could get the parts I needed, but it would take a couple weeks. We didn't have a couple weeks, so for the next two days I pull started it in a real dangerous manner on the top of the engine. But it worked, so we got through it. I have the part, I need to fix it now, because we plan on using that boat a lot more. Hopefully we'll go back to Oregon. But I struggle with that. I struggle with going someplace and doing something, and then going back and doing the exact same thing again. Even though it's super fun. Sometimes I will. Most of the time I won't. Because I don't have a lot of time off. So when I do get these times to hang out with Nancy, go camping, go fishing, go hunting, go do these things. Once I've done it, I want to move on to that next thing. I want to move on to that next adventure. So now that we've done Dungeness Crab in Coos Bay, Oregon, now I want to go do something else. I don't know. Haven't decided yet. Maybe we'll go to Alaska. Maybe we'll go chase caribou. I'd like to go chase moose. I don't have the money to do those things right now, but it could happen. So those are the things I look at. My son-in-law and my daughter live in Tennessee. He's trying to figure out the whole turkey hunting scene. So I'm going to see if I can go down to Tennessee this spring and go help him hunt turkeys. 
Nancy's never been to the Boundary Waters. So we're looking at maybe this summer of 2021 going to the Boundary Waters because it's not looking good for us traveling to Europe still. I don't think we're going to be able to get into the UK. I still have guides booked in both Ireland and Scotland. Yeah, I don't know if we're even going to be able to do that. So it's just been kind of a chaotic year, but we've just been making do. We ended up making the drive home from Oregon in a single day, although I did have to pull off the side of the road and sleep a little bit in the morning because, again, we left at 3 a.m. I drove to about 7, started getting tired, slept for an hour, then got on the road and we got home that night. That I can do. I can get up at 2 or 3 in the morning and drive, but I can't drive past about 9 o'clock. Don't know what it is. Just how I do. If you can experience some of these things, you should definitely do it. The salmon in Coos Bay are big and strong and super fun. The crabs in Coos Bay are amazing. The people we met, fantastic people. So it's just one more adventure that now we've checked off our list. You know, I think I probably will do that one again. That was fun. Thanks for listening. Get out there and live your stories.